0: More than a mere ship of exploration, the Bellerophon embodied humanity's last great effort to tame the universe through our own will alone. We welcome you to Drive Back the Night, an Andromeda series podcast. I'm the Andromeda Universe's version of John Champion.
1: And I'm a low-budget Ken Ray.
0: Each week we take an episode of Gene Roddenberry's Andromeda, and we analyze it, dissecting it, looking for messages, morals, and meanings.
1: And see if they still stand the test of time.
0: Yeah. This is sounding kind of familiar. Yeah. Don't you think? I think so. Is I, it is it because of this episode, maybe? It just, it all seems a little familiar. I think like it's something... Almost like we've got a little peanut butter mixed with our chocolate, maybe? I think he got some chocolate mixed with the peanut butter, maybe. Oh, I disagree with you, sir. Uh I agree to disagree. We'll, okay. We'll be here all day. <laughs> we, we will, okay. <laughs> um, but yeah. Not that show. No, that's right. We're, yeah. No, that's the okay. Never mind. I'm Ethan Maestri. That's
1: right, and I'm Ryan Mazako. That yeah,
0: we're the, we're this show. Mm-hmm. Okay,
1: yeah, we're the not Star Trek podcast. E- exactly. Okay.
0: Even though you might not know that from the previous 48 episodes that we've done, <laughs> where we've talked extensively about Star Trek, but this time we have every reason to talk about Star Trek, don't we? I I think so. You, you might, might so. Are we gonna touch on it? Maybe just just a poquito. You know, I mean, we've already broken the seal, so... Just roll with it, huh? Yep, yep. Yeah, okay. Excellent, then. Um, But yes, we take an episode of Gene Roddenberry's Andromeda and analyze it. This week, we're analyzing... The Lone and Level Sands. Exactly. Before we get started on that analysis, though, Ryan, Mm -hmm. I'd like to start with our favorite thing to do, correcting previous mistakes. okay. (laughs) I just wanted to say uh in last week's or the la- the last episode that we did Q bono oh yeah um you found out that that's not how it's pronounced no it is how it's oh, pronounced okay, okay. or at least that's how I'm pronouncing it all right um i did mispronounce uh sid's name that was all through my summary and throughout our discussion we kept calling him uh sid Prophet. and that is inaccurate See, I can see by the expression on your face, you don't even realize. No. Hi. And, that, and then exactly, that's what we did. Sid Berry, His name is Sid Barry. His, aka, was Sam Prophet. And we <laughs> mixed both of them together. Okay. So, And I think we did that several times throughout that episode. Mm-hmm. So, just a little correction. And probably in the other one, too, oh, that he was in. Yeah, I had didn't even check that one, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's, it's quite possible. Uh, so, I wanted to start that out. Uh, with a little correction, there it's uh, Sid Barry, okay, aka Sam Profit, okay, not Sid Profit, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Although, why not? Yeah, sure. You know, at this sure. point, yeah, mm-hmm. let's just go with it. It's Sid
1: Profit. Everybody knows that. That's how everyone knows him. Exactly. Yep.
0: That said, and I out stand of corrected. <laughs> that said, and that out of the way, um, let's move on into the show. So I've got some trivia to lay on you. Okay. All right. Here we go. The Lone and Level Sands, written by the duo Ashley Edward Miller and Zach Stentz. Now, we're going to get them a few more times this season, Ryan. So, savor it. We'll come back to why I say that in a future episode. Okay. Put a pin in that. Put a pin in that. Yes, exactly. Uh, It is an episode directed by Jorge Montesi. Now, we previously saw him in uh, Mad to be Saved. That was the first episode he directed this season. After getting his start with Ouroboros, which we have talked about before. And we're going to see a lot more of his work through the end of this series. So no doubt we'll be talking about Jorge Montesi again in okay. a future episode. Now, the Bellerophon. Uh, interesting name. Of course, it is a character of Greek mythology. It was the name of an intrepid class ship in Star Trek Deep Space Nine. It's the name of a planet in the Firefly television series. Blah, blah, blah. What I want to talk to you, Ryan, about in trivia is Bellerophon in naval historical context. How about that? Okay. Okay, here we go. The HMS Bellerophon was a 74-gun third-rate ship of the line of the Royal Navy launched in 1786. And she served during the French Revolutionary and Napoleonic Wars, mostly in blockades or convoy escort duty. She was decommissioned and broken up in 1836. The next ship to be named Bellerophon, the HMS Bellerophon of 1865, was an ironclad battleship, which she was renamed the Indus III in 1904 and was used for training until sold in 1922. Then, in 1907, we saw the launch of HMS Bellerophon, and this one was the lead ship of her class of three dreadnought battleships built for the Royal Navy in the first decade of the 20th century. She was assigned to the British Grand Fleet and participated in the Battle of Jutland in May of 1916, the largest naval engagement of the First World War. She would later be sold for scrap in 1921. Hmm. So HMS Bellerophon has been a famous warship in the British fleet for pff, over 100 years. Hmm.
1: And also, I, I don't mean to to steal your, your trivia spotlight here, but... Um it was also the first battleship that was able to travel at near light
0: speed. All righty. Are you referring to this Bellerophon yeah. in the show? Yeah.
1: <laughs> you're just going to let that go? <laughs> yeah, as if it actually happened.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. I see where you're going here. I'm actually talking about real world hmm. ships named Bellerophon. Mm-hmm. So I'm just what I'm saying, Ryan, is there there's context for a ship with that name. Okay. I was just trying to make trivia fun. Oh, I see. I see. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you want to talk about fun. I know you're a gun guy. No, you're you're not really really not a gun gun guy. guy. Okay, so this isn't going to be that much fun for you. I mean, I'm not
1: like one of those
0: guys. I just, I don't care. Right, right. Um, The weapons used by the crew that we see on the ship Bellerophon are actual real world weapons, come to find out. They (laughs) are, uh, they're called Herstal FNP-90s, and they were developed in the early 1990s for use in military and security forces. They became a a popular design that appeared on many other television series, sci-fi included, Hmm. and we see them here on the decks of the Bellerophon in this episode, The Lone and Level Sands. Wow. And finally, just another little tidbit about Bellerophon, the name. I thought it was interesting that the first planet discovered orbiting a sun-like star, 51 Pegasi b, has been unofficially nicknamed Bellerophon. So there's actually a planet out there that's known as Bellerophon. Okay, so then maybe by using that we can try to pinpoint exactly where the
1: Firefly universe is taking place.
0: There you go. Okay. That's a project for another time. Okay. Okay. Immediately after we're done recording. All right. Mm-hmm. We're going to do it. <laughs> I think I think we do have a game we can jump on and go check it out, don't yeah, you think? I, think, I, I, think so. I, I know where there's a galaxy map. <laughs> yes. Um, actors for this episode. Um, we have Ray Galetti. He plays Kemp. His acting career started in the mid to late 1990s, and after his uh, appearance here on Andromeda, he would go on to do Stargate SG-1, Smallville, the popular Arrow series, and most recently, he appeared as a GA officer in the series Dark Matter. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Venus Terzo, she is Nadia in this episode. Now, she began her career in voice acting, and from the late 80s, there were many anime series brought over from Japan that were adapted for uh, North American audiences, and so she has a lot of credits in uh, Japanese anime. Besides her appearance on Andromeda, she also has appeared in the series Continuum, Minority Report, and Supernatural. And finally, we have Tony Todd. Hold on. I'm sorry. I don't mean to interrupt your trivia again. Do you happen
1: to know who she was in Continuum? I do not. Okay. Because this whole time I'm watching this episode, I'm thinking, I know her. <laughs> You've seen her. So. I have seen her somewhere, mm-hmm. and I'm waiting for that part of trivia so that Ethan can tell me where I have seen her. And then it's going to hit me, and I'm going to go, oh, that's it.
0: She appeared in one episode of
1: Continuum. Hmm. It must have made an impression. Apparently. Mm-hmm. Which, right. by the way, I loved that series. You, you, should, did, watch should, watch you should watch it. You did, and I should watch it. You should watch it.
0: That should be our next podcast. Hmm. Interesting that mm-hmm. you would go there. Okay. Um, I will consider it. Okay. Consider it considered. All right. (laughs) Tony Todd. Now, uh, really, this man needs no introduction among Star Trek fans. But for the sake of those that don't know, he is best known for his appearances in Star Trek The Next Generation and Deep Space Nine. He appeared there as Worf's brother Kern, a Klingon. Now, he would also play in Deep Space Nine an older Jake Sisko, in the season four episode, The Visitor, which actually won a number of awards. And his acting in that episode <clears throat> was, um, for lack of a better term, stellar. Mm-hmm. I mean, he—it he, it is absolutely one of the top five episodes of Deep Space Nine that you'll watch out of that series. And um, yeah, he he's well known throughout the Star Trek circles. Uh, besides the television shows... He's done various voiceovers for Star Trek games, including Star Trek Online. He has appeared in Babylon 5, Stargate SG 1, uh, 24, the series, and uh, a whole host of uh, voice work, including the animated series Transformers Prime, which I mention because my son watches it. <laughs> All right, then. And that is our guest list for the episode The Lone and Level Sands. Ryan. Yes. Do you have a summary for us this week? You know what? I sure do. Go for it. On their way back from a Castilian
1: peace conference, Dylan, Tyr, Rami, and Harper are attacked in the Maru by Ogami. We don't know why, and we won't find out, but that doesn't seem to be important. What is important is that a monstrosity of a ship comes to the rescue, clearing out the Ogami ships with the fire from its engine exhaust. The ship takes the Maru into its hold and welcomes him aboard. Turns out they are on the Bellerophon, a 3,000-year-old space exploration vessel from Earth, traveling at near-light speed, slowing down time for all those aboard. You know, like in Planet of the Apes. We meet First Officer Nadia and Captain Medis. Then more Ogami ships attack, and Ogami board the Bellerophon. After a good old-fashioned gunfight, as well as a few futuristic guns from Andromeda's crew, the Ogami threat is neutralized. Next step: repair the Maru. The Slipstream Drive is out of commission, and they are too far away from any civilized planets or stations to get the needed parts, leaving our crew stranded in the middle of nowhere. However, Captain Metis has an idea. They could fly them to the nearest civilized planet, which would take about three months. That is, three months their time, but 57 years would pass for the rest of the universe around them. That's not going to work for Dylan. So, Metis proposes Plan B they could drop them off at a nearby planet on the outskirts of the system and wait for rescue. This is no good either. But as they're discussing their options in a private meeting, Nadia shows up with yet a third option. Mutiny. It turns out Metis has had a slip fighter on the ship all along, but is hiding it because he doesn't want his crew to get ideas of leaving. And for some reason, the crew are feeling like his prisoners. So, win-win. Except that Dylan decides to inform Metis about the mutiny instead. Meanwhile, back on the Andromeda, Becca and Trance are following the Maru's trail and have a lead that takes them into interstellar space, which is especially dangerous since being out there could leave you completely stranded, unable to find the slipstream. So they've been watching Harper's YouTube videos about how to reroute the antimatter circuits to force open a slip portal. Back on the Bellerophon, Nadia and the other mutineers bust into the bridge to face off with Metis. Metis is about to execute Nadia as an example to all others who would dare defy him, but Dylan talks him into letting her, and any others that wish, to go free with them. Which is good, because the Andromeda needs more crew, and this will be a much-needed and welcomed addition to the regular cast for seasons to come. The Maru leaves the Bellerophon and is promptly rescued by the Andromeda. Back on board the Andromeda, Dylan discusses with Rami about his new perspective of the satisfaction one can gain from a mission of exploration, and vows that once their castle is built and all the dragons are slayed, I'm assuming that's metaphorical, they will pick a distant star and just go. Out there. That-a-way. The end.
0: Ryan. Yes, sir. Bravo, sir. (laughs) Well, thank (laughs) you. That was well done.
1: Thank you. I must have put at least ten minutes into that. Yeah.
0: All right. Excellent. So, uh, f- two minutes into the episode, impressive, I would say, an impressive opening uh, sequence. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. Mm-hmm. I would say CG. Ble- I would say CG budget for episode uh, five, season three, blown. First two minutes, gone, gone, mm-hmm. <laughs> just like that. Yep. No, it was impressive. Mm-hmm. I mean, you you called it a monstrosity of a ship. Yeah. I assume you're referencing just the sheer size of it, yes, yeah, yeah, yes. Uh, man, I, I haven't seen another vessel with that I don't know how to phrase it that carries that kind of weight, you know in you know, presence.
1: The Doomsday machine: Oh yeah, from from, 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 Star, from Star, Star Trek, Trek the yeah. original series. yeah, yeah that, that, that's what it reminded me of.
0: I don't think it's nearly as big,
1: probably not because we're comparing it to the Maru yeah, <laughs> and we never got to see it side by side with the Andromeda. That is true. So, that I mean, true. we know that the Maru does fit very nicely in the, the garage of the Andromeda as well. So, yeah. yeah, maybe it's not that big. But it's definitely extremely powerful.
0: Yeah, mm. with, without having any exterior weapons of any kind, mm-hmm. which I thought was yeah, it was kind of ingenious. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, as far as opening sequences go, I was actually thoroughly entertained by it. Mm-hmm. Except for, you know, Ogami. Right. Ogami, oh, it's the Ogami. <laughs> um, so what can we say about the Ogami? You know, I, is can, can I just can I just say what I've got written down here? Ogami boarding parties can be torn through like paper. Yeah. You see where I'm going with that. Yeah. Right. I mean, I think that boarding party really just folded. Yep. I I see what you did there, sir. Uh, uh-huh. You 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 saw mine and, uh-huh. and you raised me. I, I it's yeah. it's what I do. It's what you do. Yeah, yeah. Very good. Well played, sir. <laughs> Thank you. I don't mean to steal your thunder, but you did. <laughs> but you did.
1: <laughs> hey, how is this for twentieth-century construction? The fact that three thousand years from now, even though there's not going to be any, not much of a human civilization left on Earth, um. Definitely, probably not a lot of the entertainment things. You know, besides surfing, obviously, that's going to stay. That's going to stick forever. Oh, absolutely. Um, probably no baseball. I mean, it's already losing favor. Right. But Fenway Park remains. There's a comfort
0: in that, don't you think? It depends if, if you're a Red Sox fan or not. <laughs> or a Nietzschean sacrifice. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, that it's it's... Yeah, it's a... Totally different thing. Yeah. Um, I've got more on that later. Okay. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, um, you know, we, we've alluded a little bit to Star Trek in the opening of the show, but let's just let's just get it out there right away. Okay. D- Does the Bellerophon have a little bit of a Starfleet feel to you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. I just wanted to check with you. Yeah. Just wanted to make sure. Is it something we can talk about maybe a little bit later in the show? You know
1: what? I'm good talking about it now, or we can talk about it later. It doesn't matter.
0: Let's do both. Okay. Okay. So it definitely... I mean, my goodness. The Mm. the uniforms. Right. Straight out of D-Space 9. Yeah. Right into Voyager, and then slid on into this one.
1: (laughs) Right. Even the color schemes are the same. Exactly the same! Right. Red for command, blue for science and medical, and... And gold for the for the security. I,
0: I was I was almost um, as I am watching the episode. I am thoroughly entertained by the episode. Uh, just tip 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 of the hat right there, and mm-hmm. let you know how I, I was entertained. Okay, but at the same time, I was sitting there wondering, did they did they really need to go that far with drawing the parallels? I mean, it did really feel like they were going for it.
1: Mm, you know, I, I I hate to say that they were doing that on purpose. I I personally like to believe that it all just kind of fell into place that way. And maybe I'm totally off on this, but if they did do it on purpose, then that's kinda of lame.
0: Okay. Yeah. Um oh, I man, I just command red. Mm hmm. Um well I don't know, the first officer was she was more militaristic, but she was wearing blue or blue green, right? Yes. But mm-hmm. the engineers were in gold, mm-hmm. I believe. So I mean, yeah, the color schemes were straight out of Next Generation and everything forward. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, if it needed to be a ripoff of Star Trek, go back to the old. Do command in gold, and you know science stays in blue, and then give give the red shirts. I would have I I would have thought it'd be really cool if red shirts were dying when the Ogami boarded. <laughs> That'd have been yeah. like, oh yeah, that's a total Star Trek room. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's why they didn't go with that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Because it would have been a total Star Trek ripoff. Could have been, yeah. But anyway, okay. Just wanted to check in with you on that. Make sure we're on the same page there. Mm -hmm. All right. Let's move on. Okay. Uh,
1: It's it's nice to know that I'm not alone, and Becca and Trance, they work through projects the same way that I do. Oh, really? Yeah. How's that? Try to figure it out first, and then when that doesn't work, then look at the instructions. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And then complain... About them not telling me that before. Right. That's what Becca does when Harper does this thing, you know, watch out for this because it can, it can get you. She's like, oh, now he tells me. Um, <laughs> you didn't watch the video yet, so I'm sorry,
0: Becca. I like you, but that's on you. It occurs to me that we could be missing some crew members from this episode forward, because here they are, and why would Harper have live wires just <laughs> readily available for anyone to just brush against and... and hurt themselves. But yeah, I mean, they didn't look at the instructions. They just started poking around in there. Mm -hmm. That could have been catastrophic. Yeah. I thought it was odd, first of all, that Harper is making
1: these videos. I I get maybe he wants to, you know, be helpful and and instruct and he's being entertaining as he's doing it in his own little Harper way that he does. But it just seems like uh, maybe he's got a lot of other things to do. Either that or he's just extremely efficient, and I believe that he is, because we've seen he's been able to, you know, in five minutes whip up some gadget that can open a hole in space-time or whatever. Right, yeah. You know? Yeah. Okay.
0: Um, but still, I'm not sure why he's making these these videos. Well, Ryan, here's the thing. You've always worked for yourself, right? Yes. Okay. I've never really had a job. There you go. Mm-hmm. Um. In a normal job where you have a position that may at some point need to be handed off to someone else, um, if there is not already an employee handbook with Mm -hmm. instructions of how to do your job, Mm -hmm. you will be asked to do it. I've been asked to do it. Is that so? Yeah. So for me, I mean, it kind of makes sense. Okay. If he's making that for the next person that's going to come along and be an engineer on Andromeda, yeah, it kind of made sense to me.
1: Mm. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, I did have a job. Um, I was a busboy at Olive Garden. Okay. I didn't have to make any videos or handbooks. So I guess management just took care of that. Probably. So. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, that, cause I thought there for a minute, <laughs> was I supposed to make a video? So no, I think you're good. Okay. All good. of a sudden I just flashed back 15 years ago. I'm
0: like, Oh no uh it is nice to see that some things will never change. You mentioned uh baseball perhaps not existing, but Fenway Park being there. Yeah. I picked out something that I thought worked well. Uh, or that I was that I was happy to hear about. Okay. And and having just recently been through there, I can verify the accuracy of the statement. Okay. So, it's nice to know that 3000 years in the future, jersey still smells funny. <laughs> I thought that was great. Uh-huh. And yes, having having recently through this past summer been through there, it does. Right. Okay. You know what? That's a good point because it also makes me
1: wonder if, if Jersey has that kind of a reputation still 3,000 years from now, and we know what has happened to the rest of the earth.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: Right? Yes. So, I mean, the Magog must have just built their
0: nets there. <laughs>
1: No one goes there.
0: Jersey is just a Magog latrine. That's it. It's just the massive Magog toilet. Yeah. All sewers run (laughs) to Jersey. Jersey.
1: That's too bad. (laughs) And we just lost our Jersey listeners. There you go. Sorry. Uh, Real quick on Harper. I got to harp on Harper for a minute. I know that he's a super genius, super smart. Um, I kind of got to call him out on something, though when he's describing the conditions on the planet that they're that they're considering going to basically maroon themselves mm-hmm. on yeah um he's talking about how cold it is there and he refers to negative kelvins
0: wait a second he does doesn't he yeah that's not physically possible no no it's not because <laughs> zero is zero kelvins absolute, absolute zero, zero. <laughs> right i did <laughs> i didn't even pay attention to that uh. uh-huh
1: Oh, nice catch. So I got to bust him on that. Yep, yep. Sorry. No negative kelvins. Um, I'm going to go ahead and give him the benefit of the doubt though and say that maybe he was just um exaggerating, you know, just just to make a point. It's like it's even colder than absolute zero. <laughs> I know you, that's not possible, but you get what I'm saying?
0: Yeah. Right? Wasn't wasn't there a comedian sometime that said something about he looked outside the thermometer outside his window said zero yeah. somebody asked what's the temperature and he said there doesn't appear to be one yeah <laughs> that was Ron White that's right that's yeah. right Ron White uh yeah that would be an appropriate time for Harper to whip that one out right well, yeah on that planet right what's the temperature out there well there doesn't appear to be one right it's absolutely zero. <laughs> oh, Captain Metis sure is weepy don't you think Hmm. There was a lot of scenes where his cheeks were wet. Yeah. I just wanted to point that out.
1: Yeah, I, I, I'm i not sure, because usually when people start to cry, I usually look away. So, <laughs> And then so, kind of just block it out. So, so I'm not really sure what you're talking about. So there's
0: like 10 minutes of screen time that you don't even know what the show looked, what was going on, on That screen. explains, I thought this
1: episode was very short. Oh, that makes mm-hmm. sense. Okay. okay. Maybe there's some things that you can explain to me later, though, because it didn't make any sense.
0: Oh, off mic. Yeah. Okay. We'll, we'll, we'll clear clear that up. All right. I appreciate that. Well, that's enough of our observations there, Ryan. Let's mm-hmm. move on into what did we learn from this episode about the Andromeda universe? What did you notice in it?
1: Okay. Um, you know, one of the things that I noticed was it started from the very beginning. We've talked about it in the past few episodes because it's something that's kind of been building. Problems in the new system commonwealth again. Okay. It's touched on very briefly, but it is what starts the entire chain of events that happened through the rest of this episode. I think I'm right with you. Okay. Somebody in the commonwealth, we're given to to understand, ordered a hit on Dylan. Yeah. On his way back from the meeting with the Castilians.
0: Quote unquote, air quotes here, fish people. No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. But not what I was going oh, for. All right. Leaked. Right. Dylan's flight plan. Uh huh. Yeah, I had that noted here as well. Mm hmm. So, yeah, this is a thing.
1: Mm hmm. Uh, h- how are they supposed to operate now when they've got to be co- constantly looking over their shoulder for even the people that they're supposed to be serving and the ones that are supposed to be serving them?
0: Yeah. I- I'm telling you, we're five episodes in to the the new commonwealth being established and mm-hmm. i don't like it yeah it, you know it's time to find a, a far distant part of the galaxy and just let the magog eat <laughs> civil the new civilization mm-hmm.
1: that's a good plan hey i tried to help them. <laughs> let the magog eat
0: them. that's right mm-hmm. that's right yeah i think it's a good life lesson rami oh boy Yeah, we got a couple of things to talk about. Yeah, I got a couple paragraphs on Rami. I do, you know. Mm -hmm. Let me broach uh, the subject then. All right. One, she has a thing for men in positions of power. Yeah, that was a a theme with her and Captain Metis, Mm -hmm. and uh, obviously her um, torn loyalty between Dylan, obviously, and the the idea of going off with Captain Metis. Um. There was an attraction there. I would say it wasn't yep. all for show. She wasn't just trying to get close to him. I don't think mm-hmm. there was there was something behind it. Yeah. Also, she's a warship, but with the heart of an explorer. And I say that <laughs> with the question mark at uh-huh. the end. What do you think about that?
1: Well, I, I, again, I mean, I, this is Rami, the Avatar, the android. And she kind of seems to go her own way, even though she's very connected to Andromeda the ship and its personality. You know, she also kind of has her own personality. She reacts differently to things than than the hologram or the on-screen persona will. And, you know, I mean, this could just be another one of those those differences where... I mean, we've seen it before, Um, when Rami was in love with uh, Gabriel.
0: Yeah. Right? Balance of Judgment.
1: Okay, the hologram and the on-screen persona were kind of giving her crap about it.
0: Yeah, yeah, they were.
1: But she was wanting to follow her own path. Follow her heart, I guess, if she has one. Yeah, yeah. Whatever it is that... That pumps the uh, hydraulic fluids. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. So looking at it from that point of view, I mean, I can kind of buy it. The whole relationship itself, I personally felt was a little manufactured, a little rushed, especially considering the fact that when she went in there the first time, she was
0: just going after that ID card. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. But once you got in there, that sweet, sweet saxophone music. Yeah, I think it did something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 See, it's
1: too bad Harper wasn't there because he could have learned something.
0: <laughs> yes, mm-hmm. he could have learned a lot. Mm-hmm. How to how to woo the ladies, or at least Rami. Yeah,
1: that's really all he wants. It's <laughs> true. it's yeah. true. But but she talks about because later at the end of the episode, he asks her. Did you mean any of that? Yeah. Well, she says to him, that's her That's her opportunity now to say, uh, no, I played you. Sorry about you. I got to go. Mm-hmm. And knowing Rami, she doesn't have a problem with doing stuff like no, that. No, she tells it how it is. Right. But she said, yeah, I meant it. Yeah. So I'm inclined to believe her.
0: Yeah. I Yeah, I, I totally agree. Now, there at the end, when we're talking about her and dylan Mm -hmm. and dylan obviously saying once this is all done let's just go to the farthest star and and just go explore right and she seems genuinely interested in that prospect
1: yeah uh you know what i'm not sure if it's so much because she wants to explore so much or if it's just that now i wish i had written it down i didn't write it down but when I saw that scene, what I wanted to write down was the question: Did Dylan just propose to Rami?
0: That's an excellent point, and I hadn't thought about it. Is that, that way. kind of their, you know, we're this is how we're going to be together now mm-hmm. for right, however long. Dylan's I'm not
1: actually going to ask you to be in a relationship or to actually marry me or whatever, because as Rami said earlier. We have an understanding yeah. quote, yeah. and I wrote that down too, so I want to talk about that. But, okay, it, okay let's just go ahead. Let's get it yeah. out of the way. Now, We're here. We're yeah, here. okay. We have, that, okay, Metis asks her, how is it that you and Dylan can work together when there's obviously something, he sees it.
0: Yeah. There's
1: got to be something going on. Mm-hmm. Okay, She. her response is, and I quote, we have an understanding What is that understanding? Because to me, what I understand is that since season one, Rami's got the hots for Dylan. Dylan says, chill. And so she keeps to herself. Yeah. That's the understanding, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's her. She could have said, well, you know, I tried, but things didn't work out. It it wasn't me. It was him. And I don't know, (laughs) you know, something. Right, right. But... Just to kind of just leave it open like that, we have an understanding. What is that understanding? Yeah, because if you don't know, if you haven't been watching them for the last two, going now three seasons,
0: that that's open to interpretation, right? And we've had endless discussions about it, right? I th- I think though, for Rami, in her mind, she has an understanding. Oh, she yeah. knows exactly where things are. Where, where things are, and she she's okay yeah. with it being basically open ended the way it is.
1: Right, but see, that's that's what I'm saying though. Is we know the understanding. She knows the understanding. Metis doesn't know the understanding. What does that mean? That was her opportunity. She could have said, "Our relationship is strictly professional, or it is platonic. It's not anything that you need to worry about." But you just leave it so vague and open as to say, there's an understanding.
0: Well, so so does uh, does Dylan's proposal uh, there at the end, mm-hmm. does that crystallize that understanding? Does that make it more defined, do you think? No, I think that muddies it up a little bit. Oh, so he's totally gone and played with her feelings.
1: Huh. Hmm. You know, it's kind of like that, uh... hey girl. <laughs> Stringing you know, along, I know I know how you feel, but I kinda got this thing I gotta do, yeah all right, yeah. tell you what you stick around, and maybe just maybe I can make all your dreams come true. <laughs> <laughs> we'll go chase the stars together. What do you think about that
0: yeah, uh-huh uh-huh yeah yeah so so is Dylan really is he that is he the jerk that's just stringing her along? you
1: know what I'm starting to
0: think so, mm. Interesting,
1: because mm-hmm. I'm not sure that they have the same understanding now. Well, I think we'll have to keep our eye on that. Okay. Well, what do you think? You said, does that crystallize it? Does that make it more clear? Is but, that is that where you were? I don't going know. With
0: that? I I guess from my point of from my perspective, um, the way that episode ended, I felt like Dylan was. Well, I mean, he he's got the entire Commonwealth basically trying to hound him or kill him actually. So in my mind, if I were in Dylan's position, I would look at it as I have, I have a group of friends here that I can trust. And at some point the ride is going to come to an end. And when it does, some of them may leave. Some of them may decide to stay. What am I going to do? Well, I have Rami here. I have a ship and you know, it, it sounds great to just get away from it all and go explore. And I think he's just genuinely offering that as a, as a prospective future for them. I only think of it in that light of, was that a proposal of some sort, only because you brought it up. I didn't think of it myself. So if I stay in my own head, I think he's just innocently making a, a quasi-promise for the future.
1: With a girl
0: that he knows has got the hots for him okay,
1: it's kind of mean
0: you, you, yeah well yeah, what is it mean what if what if that's it really his intent?
1: every girl I've ever done that to has said it's mean okay <laughs> I might be overselling myself a little
0: bit <laughs> right, but just saying but if he really means to do it mm-hmm. I, I why 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 can't that be something that Rami can hang her hat on
1: yeah well I don't think he's I don't think he's intending to be a jerk guys guys that do that I don't think he he, I don't think he's thinking of it that way but maybe he's just kind of he's just thinking he's got these wild ideas that just came to him and he says it blah right yeah can't take it back now right but it doesn't sound like a bad idea to him right but he's also maybe not considering what that's actually doing to her
0: Okay, I can see that. Okay, I can see that. I don't. I don't know that I agree that that's what's happened. Mm-hmm. Maybe we'll see something about it further on, not specifically to that proposal, or or, or to that possible future. But I think we're probably going to get some a few more episodes that might help us resolve some of this. Okay, that's my gut.
1: Okay, okay. Um, I want to switch gears. Back to Harper again. Okay. Um, so, this is something that we just about started to talk about. Yeah, you touched on it. Yeah. Fenway Park. Yay,
0: we remembered to come back to
1: something. Mm-hmm. Because I had it in my notes. Did you have a pin drawn next to it? No, no. I just had a note Dude, that I wanted to talk about. slipping. No, I, I had a note that I wanted to talk about it, and we never Remember, talked about it. We
0: established this last time. Pin. Draw a pin next to it. Okay. Right, hold on. Let, let me draw a pin real <clears> quick. <throat> okay. Hey, I got a pin on here. Okay, let's go. So Awesome.
1: Harper talks about Fenway Park, right? Yes. Um, um, Harper says, and I quote, Fenway Park, the last time I was at Fenway Park, I watched the Drago Cats off crucify a guy in the cheap seats. (laughs) Right. Okay, so a couple things. First of all, I think we can all agree, Drago Cats off... Are the worst. Bad guys, right? They're the
0: worst. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, they're torturing and apparently crucifying people in Fenway Park. I mean, come on. Whether you're a Red Sox fan or not, not cool.
0: No. Okay. Um, totally gives a total macabre feel to the green monster.
1: Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> Yay, sports. <laughs> Go. Yeah, um... But, but, but we, but we kind of know that about the cat, the Drago cats off, right? Yeah. They're yeah. bad guys. Mm-hmm. Let's shift our attention back to
0: Harper. Why is Harper there? I I had the, the same thought. Okay. Why would you be there? In the cheap but, seats. Yes. Meaning he paid for the cheap seats. Now, no, no. hold on. Okay. Harper talks in circles and in metaphors a lot of the time, and he uses a lot of... Old, antiquated Earth sayings, right? Yeah. Okay. Let's let's go with this. The Dragokasov are ruthless people. And they like to make a statement. And this sounds like the type of thing they would do. They round a bunch of people up, march them out in front of a bunch of their peers, right? Okay. And slaughter them. Okay? Why would those people be there to see it? Because the Dragokasov made them sit. In the cheap seats. Okay. Round them up. Bring these people in. We're going to make an example out of a few so that we don't have any problems with everyone that gets to see it happen and tell all their friends. Okay. Right? Okay. So it's forced. He was there in the cheap seats. He didn't pay for them. Mm-hmm. But cheap seats is a nice nice way of saying he was one of the crowd. Mm-hmm. And he had to see this happen. Okay. So, yeah, I mean... I didn't think there was anything untoward about him saying he was there. Okay, uh, it wasn't like you know paying to go see gladiators take each other out. Well, see, A blood sport. Type this
1: thing. is what I was envisioning: was you blood know, sport, the Colosseum. Yeah, you know the Romans, they would get their prisoners and they would make them fight to the death. They right. would have public executions, and you know it's the it's filled with other Romans that are just cheering the whole thing on, right. So I don't mean this against any Romans that are listening. You know, you and I are both Italian, so I think I have the freedom of speech. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, in that sense, you know, the Romans—they they were bad guys, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, obviously, we don't do that sort of thing anymore. That's why we have things like football now,
0: right? Because okay. it's so much cleaner. Yeah.
1: Exactly. <laughs> um. I really like what you're saying the way you're analyzing this and putting this twist on it because it makes me feel a whole lot better because really what I was envisioning was Harper and all of his friends going down to Fenway Park to see the blood sports mm-hmm. right and it just so happened that you know that day there were some public executions right right and uh yeah I don't know maybe it, cuz it doesn't sound like it really sat well with him right
0: yeah, I, I think there's a lot to be said for his facial expression mm-hmm. and the context and who he was talking to. Right. I think that says a lot about the fact that this was not something that he elected to do, mm-hmm. but that it was kind of a forced situation. That's, in, in my narrative of, of him telling that story, that's the way I'm seeing it. Okay. Hey, something we haven't talked about in a while. All right. Slipstream.
1: Okay, I got a few notes on Slipstream. Do you? Excellent. Uh
0: So we're on the same page here. Uh, We haven't talked about Slipstream since probably, what, season one?
1: Yeah, well, because you got tired of talking about Slipstream. Right. Anytime I said Slipstream, you were like, cut, you cut (laughs) the tape, and you said,
0: we're not going to do this tonight. Right. Yeah, I remember that. Okay. The last time was very adamant, Mm -hmm. and so it's been kind of quiet for about 23, 4, 5 episodes. Yeah, yeah. I'm ready to talk about Slipstream again. Great. All right, so... Yeah, I'm just going to say it made a lot of sense to me.
1: Okay.
0: Uh, besides it being necessary for the plot mm-hmm. um, that this point about Slipstream comes out, it, it made kind of sense when you think about what we've talked about in the past, how Slipstream works and being kind of a, a branch of string theory. The the point that I like being that it's uh, more difficult the further you get into interstellar space in order to find a, a jump point, a a place to enter the slipstream. Right. That does make sense to me because as you get into more sparsely populated areas, Mm -hmm. there's less chances, less uh, opportunities, less strings to, to hook onto. Yeah. Right. So yeah, if you're in the middle of interstellar space, uh, you know, you may only have one or two strands anywhere near you where you can hook up and, and get back into the, into the slipstream. Sure. I thought that was cool. Yeah. Um, besides, like I said before, besides it being a plot point necessary for the, the telling of the story. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I, I was actually really cool. I I thought it was really cool that they, they went there with that. Yeah. I agree. I, I did like
1: that, and it makes sense for the reasons that you just said. I also feel like it brought up a ton of questions.
0: It always does.
1: Yeah. Um. So, first of all, Uh, One of the questions that I have here is, you know, uh, Metis speaks of the wonders between the stars. He's describing some of the things that he has seen and civilizations even that have thrived between the stars. These are places that they will never go to, our Andromeda crew, or any other civilized culture that's using slipstream. Mm -hmm. They will never see these things. Right. Because they're out in the middle of interstellar space, except for the fact that if there are objects somewhere out there, then there must be strings attached to it somehow. Maybe it's just that they don't know that
0: they're out there. Wait, wait, wait. Okay. Dark matter. Yeah. Which functions outside of the known realms of the physical universe that we see and that we deal with. So
1: you're saying that these things are not part of the physical universe?
0: They 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 somehow stand outside he flew past of known them. physics. He saw them out
1: the window. Well, right? Yeah. I and mean, so they must be physical things. Okay. I mean, I, I'm not a physicist at all. I don't even pretend to be one. But I don't know if it's something is physical, it's physical,
0: right? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just think we, we could go very deep into this conversation. Right. Let's let's keep it shallow, though. Let, Let me say I am
1: willing thing. to accept this, even still, because of where they are. There is really nothing out there.
0: What if he? What if he's simply talking about, um, seeing or approaching things like nebula or uh, and a recently exploded star or something like that from you know a hundred light years away, which that's going to change your perspective. Right, And not to say that you couldn't see that um, traveling the slipstream. You stop at a star that's 100 light years away. Yeah, you see that nebula out there. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: But what if he's talking about simply the fact of seeing it differently without a star directly behind you to block some of the light or something to that effect? Being out in the darkness of space, maybe that brings out the features and the beauty of, of seeing things from a distance. Maybe that's what he's talking about.
1: Maybe, but I mean, he talks about things being out there. Okay, between the stars. Yeah, I mean, which I think is fantastic. I think that's wonderful.
0: They're outside of the realm of of what civilization knows.
1: Yeah, and evidently, there's no way for slipstream to get there. Yeah, and that's fine. I can still I can still buy that. I can still accept all of that. That's fine. That's great. I love it. Okay. Um. Still, one one thing. One of the things that I wonder about this, though, is the Maru now is in a spot where it's kind of in this no man's land. Mm -hmm. They can't really find, even if, I don't know if they know this or not, but even if they did have their, their slipstream drive, not really a way to get out. The Andromeda had to rig up a way to get in.
0: Well, was it too far, or was it almost to the point of being too far? Okay, see, this is this is kind
1: of the problem I'm having here, Okay, because this is a huge hole for me, and I want you
0: to clear it up. Bring you back from
1: the if, edge? If you... Or just... <laughs> I'm thinking I had to have missed something. This was explained... Um, and I, I just, and maybe I just missed it. I can't figure it out. Um, say, for example, you are driving down the interstate. So you you drive past a gas station. It's at an exit. All right, you go a mile past it, and then you realize you need fuel soon.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, the next fueling station isn't for another twenty miles.
0: Okay,
1: um, so you just take the next exit, and you turn around and you go back the mile. Right? You don't just keep on going and then run out of gas. Right. Do you? Or you don't just drive the mile past it and then just sit out there saying, I can't reach the next gas station. (laughs) So you just pull over to the side of the road and wait for someone to bring you gas. All you got to do is
0: turn around. And go back. And
1: go back. Yeah. So I, I could not figure out how it is that they're in this sort of no man's land, this interstellar space where there's no slip points because they just dropped out of slipstream being chased by the Ogami. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: How did they get so far away from the slip points?
0: You're really wanting me to to save you or or help you uh, be okay with this.
1: I don't care if I'm okay with it or not. I just want to know if I missed something.
0: Well, Ryan... You didn't because it was kind of a big, (laughs) it was kind of a big problem for me too. Okay. How did, how did we get so far out so fast? Yeah. When in other episodes, it seems like they're flying around being chased by, you know, other ships and stuff Mm -hmm. and it's never come up before. Right. Oh, we can't go too far out. We may, we may lose, (laughs) lose our ability to hit slipstream, uh, or, or hit, uh, slip points. And and now inside of what ten minutes of show, mm-hmm. oh you're 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 boned, you're yeah. screwed. It's your it's fifty seven years to the next to the next gas station.
1: <laughs> right. Okay. So it's not just me then. No, no, okay. it's not just you. All right.
0: This, this was kind of a problem.
1: Okay, because I kept thinking this is such a huge hole, I had to have missed it. Yeah. They have, they've got to explain something. I actually had a few theories. I thought that maybe when the Agami were chasing them through the slipstream, somehow Dylan made a right turn when he should have gone straight. He His intuition was off and he just dropped out of slipstream in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. But they were still close to a system. Yeah. They were close enough that they could drop them off at that planet.
0: Yeah.
1: They were close enough that they were going to that red giant to fuel up. Mm-hmm. Why are they not close enough to find a slip point?
0: Yeah. Yeah, it, it is. Mm. Yeah. I don't have an explanation. Okay. I don't, I don't have a rebuttal of any kind because I I kind of had the same question. It, it is kind of odd. Usually, when I'm confronted with plot holes like that, it deters or, or detracts from my ability to enjoy the show. Mm hmm. And I don't know. I, maybe it's because I, do, I still don't understand Slipstream enough that it doesn't bother me that much. Um, he, he Let me bounce this off of you. Okay. Is Captain Metis already accelerating toward his next point? Is that why they've accelerated out so far to where it's kind of a problem now? You know what? That's a possibility.
1: But we also know that their engines are capable of traveling near light speed, at least quarter of light speed. You're talking about speed. The, the Maru. Um, I don't know for sure that we've seen it in the Maru. I know that it took them about... Five minutes or less to get from
0: Earth to Saturn. Frankly, I don't see how the Maru can do much more than a brisk walk. Well, <laughs> but we've seen it. Well, yeah. Remember? Yeah, it's moved. Yeah. Remember? Because we,
1: we, that was kind of a sticking point for us on that, that one episode. What well, was that? Uh, Bunker Hill, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was, Very good. Oh, thank, yeah. you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. The one where they went back to Earth. Yes. And Harper was down there in Bo- in Boston. And uh, yeah, they went from Earth to Saturn. Mm-hmm. Like it was just running down the street. Look at he split. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that's a long way. Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, cosmically speaking, not real far, but still for for a ship to travel. I mean, if we're to take that literally, that's faster than light. Yeah. Okay. So I think we can say, let's surmise then that the. Maru can at least travel near light speed.
0: I'd say it's a fair assumption.
1: They can get back to that red giant. Yeah, they can. Find could. a
0: slip point. Unless they're just far enough to where they would run out of fuel before getting in. But then they coast the rest of the way, and then you just you light the, the slip, slip drive.
1: Sure, and the sun's gravity is going to start pulling you in. Yeah, it's true. Uh-huh.
0: Don't slingshot around it too quick.
1: Well, I mean... Maybe that would have worked if they had gone fifty-seven years into the future, really? then yeah. slingshot then around the sun. the sun, so you're back where you're back You, in. you know, yeah. I don't mean to rewrite the story, but that would have been great. <laughs> would you've been more comfortable <laughs> with that? Uh,
0: I don't know, man. I don't. I don't really have an answer because. I, all right, um, let's just get down to it. Okay, I love Ashley Edward Miller and Zach Stentz, but they're starting to. They're starting to tell their stories in the way that other writers around them are doing, I feel like. Well, they are not as well put together. Yeah. And Me- and for the sake of having things in there to advance the plot, for plot points, mm-hmm. it kind of takes any kind of quasi-science or any in-universe science mm-hmm. and actually kind of tosses it out the window.
1: Yeah. And I, don't, I think it, it might be a little unfair to pin this on them personally, because... When we, remember, go back and listen to our interview with uh, Ann Vare, and she explained to us what the writing process was on this show. Um, They had a group of writers. They all worked together. They collaborated on the storylines for every episode, Mm -hmm. but it was up to one writer, or one team in this case, of writers to actually write down the dialogue. Yes. And then they would bring it to the table. They would all look at it, and they would all make their suggestions and their notes, and then... The writer would go back and make their corrections and revisions,
0: right? Yeah. So you're saying take this fault and kind of apply it to the group as a whole? Um, I think so, because okay. they should have caught this. Yeah. And, and I
1: don't want to say they should have caught that, as in that, that Ashley and Zach wrote this this way and then nobody else caught it. I, but I, I think that they were probably directed to write it this way. Yeah. Maybe there was some stuff that was just taking up too much time and they thought, okay, let's, let's just cut this out, all of this exposition, because nobody's going to care. Nobody 15 years from now is going to watch these episodes and analyze them and write notes and then record a podcast about them. <laughs> uh, yeah. Wouldn't what, it be cool if they had? What they didn't know... <laughs> Yeah. Um <laughs> uh, Yeah, so uh, may- maybe we shouldn't put it on them directly, but but it is a big problem and I hate to say this, but it gets worse. This kind of led me down um to find more holes with this story. Okay. Okay. Um so first of all, I I think we're just left to assume did the maru get repaired? We don't actually know. I we mean don't. we assume I think that we need to assume that because that was they were supposed to mutiny and in exchange they were going to get the parts to repair the slip drive. Yes. Okay, well Dylan worked around that and somehow I uh, I I don't know if we should talk about what Dylan did or not, but I wasn't planning okay, on it. Okay, it was a strange decision. But yeah. anyway <laughs> Um I think everybody ended the day happy. Right? And now they're going off in the Maru. I don't think Dylan's gonna say well we didn't fix the fixed drive fix the fixed drive well we didn't fix the slip drive slip drive thank you well we didn't fix the slip drive so let's just mosey on out into space
0: yeah yeah
1: and 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 hope that the star's
0: gravity can pull us in close enough um, I, I, I yeah I see what you're saying they only left the Bellerophon because they had a way of getting out of that system into slip slipstream
1: right and they didn't they didn't spell it out for us. Right. There was no conversation about it.
0: Well, it, they kind of did. They they broadcast it. Uh, Harper said there was only one thing they needed out of that little slip fighter. Right. The focus crystal yeah, or whatever that yeah. was. Mm-hmm. There was only one thing they needed. Right. So that would have been easy to come by once all of the dust settled. Right. And so, yeah, you have to assume that that's what happened.
1: Right. Okay. So let's just start there. We assume mm-hmm. they fixed the... the Why do I keep wanting to say fixed drive? I don't know. (laughs) Okay, so we can assume they fixed the slip drive. Okay, so now they leave the Bellerophon, Okay, and they're out on their way. Um, Do they understand their situation right now, that they're too far out to find a slip point? Because if they do, then what's their
0: plan? Head back to the star. That's what they're doing. They're heading back. Okay. It may take them a little time to get there, but yeah, they're, they're headed back. And then they'll find a slip point and then they'll jump out. Okay. Um, I don't see where, where your problem is here. Okay. Well, you just brought up another problem for okay. me.
1: Actually. Because, put a pin in that. Okay. because Okay. the Andromeda gets there. So, first of all, do they even need the Andromeda's help at this time?
0: Need it? No. Does it show up? Of course it does. Okay. Because it's the hero of the show? Yes. It's the hero ship? Yeah.
1: <sighs> Whatever. Okay. <laughs> but now the question that you just brought up to me is, or that, or that you. Okay, but now the question. That I just thought of based on what you just said, if they're just gonna they're just gonna mosey back to the star, yes, right, and then they'll be able to find a slip point, no mm-hmm. problem. the yeah. only reason they couldn't get out is because their drive was broken mm-hmm. okay, so then if that's the case, then why couldn't the Andromeda just jump to that star and then mosey out to where they are it it could
0: <laughs> <laughs> i I don't know why it didn't, okay, because we're given to understand that it's too far. Oh, well, hold on. How Okay, okay. How does slipstream work? You can't find a jump point because the strings are too thin or too... In, sparse. Sparse. Okay. Yeah, there you go. Um, but can you ride one out and it, and and have it dump you out a little ways out in the system? Obviously, that's a possibility.
1: Well, I mean, if you can get off of it, why can't you get on it? They can't get back on the same way that they got off. Maybe
0: it has to do with how thick the filaments are. You know, they taper out, they taper down, and then after it gets tapered to a certain point, and I'm totally grasping at straws here, Mm -hmm. but maybe after it tapers to a certain point, you you can't get on it, but you can ride it out. It's all I got. Uh, It's all I got, bud.
1: It's pretty shaky. I'm
0: not sure. It's thin ice. Yeah and I'm I'm willing to accept that okay. and be okay with it.
1: Okay. Obviously you're not. I I just don't know how I need more explanation on how they got to where they can't find a slip point. Yeah. And I, how they're going to be out there
0: for for
1: 57 years.
0: I hear you. And I'm afraid you're not getting any answers. <laughs>
1: I mean, if if all they needed was just for the Andromeda to find them, why do they need to be dropped off at the planet that's way out in the middle of, uh, way out on the outer edge of the, the, the system, right? Just let them get in the Maru, head toward the star, and then when the Andromeda comes, like they know it's going to, it'll be right there in the middle of the system, easy to find. Except that it's too far away, and they'll never get there until the end of the show when they need to get there, and then they just... They're planning on just flying out there. They'll be fine.
0: Yeah, I'm afraid. I'm afraid we have we have reached that that terminal point mm-hmm. where you want to try and make it make sense, and it ju- there's just not enough there to do so. Okay. Well, don't pull those strings too too much, or you're not going to have a sweater. Well,
1: it just <laughs> it, it, it yeah, it's unraveled now. Yeah, it's just it sounds like. Sorry. It sounds like. Sorry. I hope I didn't ruin it for you. I just No,
0: I, actually it's strange that you haven't. Okay. But in any case, let's move on. Let's let's talk about something else and All then right. we can wrap up our thoughts okay. at, at the end and you can rant on that some more if you so desire. Um, time dilation. Okay, yeah. We we both hit on that one as being a kind of a something really cool mm-hmm. for the plot of this episode. Um obviously time works a little differently with the Bellerophon. If you are to believe a cer- a certain um, Einstein uh, theory of relativity mm-hmm. uh, I, I really I thought this was kind of cool and amazing to really think about in the context of this show. Uh, the Bellerophon obviously moving at speed of light or near speed of light um, time works a lot slower for them for what they say it's, it's been like 20 some odd years for them. Is what it felt yeah, like. Yeah,
1: I remember them saying that. And I, I wished I had worked out the math, because <laughs> I'm not good at it. Yeah. But um, I guess maybe a good jumping off point for that, where they said that they were, if they were to travel at their maximum speed, it would take them three months to get to that uh, civilized planet. Yeah. Three months for them would have been 57 years for yeah. the outside universe. Yeah. So...
0: So it gives you a little bit of a benchmark. Yeah.
1: So maybe somebody out there that's listening feels like doing the math for us and seeing what that would work out to.
0: That'd be great. Still. We
1: might say your name on the
0: podcast. There you go. Mm -hmm. Still. I thought it was really cool. Just the fact that, you know, we're at this moment in time, 20 years into their exploration mission, and they meet Dylan Hunt, who is four years, three years into his reestablishing civilization. And, you know, obviously Metis and Dylan uh, hit it off really well as captains in extraordinary situations. But what I thought was really neat about it is that Dylan is this at this moment in time where he's kind of a, the focal point of the universe. And for Metis, it's just like, yeah, that's cool. Uh, I'm going to journey continue on my journey in another 10 years or so you're going to be dust mm-hmm. and ashes <laughs> you know
1: mm-hmm.
0: i just thought that is really just a mind-blowing concept to meet somebody that's on the cusp of greatness like that or that is uh entering into greatness
1: i mean he's great enough that you know people want to assassinate him yeah absolutely mm-hmm. exactly
0: so and for meta it's just like oh that's cool. I'm going to outlive you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, uh, I'm going to be drinking his scotch or whatever in his quarters, listening to sax music when he's a thousand years gone, you know, Mm -hmm. and just that idea of the, the time dilation um, because of the physics of it. I just thought that was really cool in how it gave the show, this episode, just that, that skewed perspective mm-hmm. and, and it was really something too interesting to think about. I thought it was really cool. Yeah. For that.
1: Yeah. Um, I don't mean to take away from what you just said, but what you just said made me think of something. I kind of wish now that they had used some older actors to play the crew of the Bellerophon. Cause if it's been out there for we're to understand 20 years, at least 20 years, Really the only crew that we got to know was uh Nadia and Kemp. They must have been very, very young when this mission started out.
0: In their twenties. Early twenties. <laughs> I don't I mean, I'd like to see some people that are in their fifties and sixties. Yeah. Alright, well Nadia, I, I could believe might be pushing forty. And so if she's been in the service, you know, and, and leaves when she's like twenty three, twenty four. A second command. That's rare, can we say? Okay. But maybe not unheard of, especially in a Star Trek-esque type military, like apparently what the Bellerophon came out of. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Not unheard of. And so if she's 42, 43 when we see her in this episode, I can believe that. Okay. Kemp, you're right. Kemp's way too young. He's a kid. (laughs) He is a kid. He was was like a 17-year-old yeoman or something straight out of out of the academy. Yeah. yeah if I, I, we're to believe the uh, age progression there.
1: I guess he could, he could work his way up the ranks. Yeah. While
0: they're out there, but yeah. I
1: don't know. Or maybe he was somebody's kid.
0: Yeah. I just yeah, you're you're right. I mean there there was kind of a that kind of took me out of it just a little bit when I thought about him. Maybe mm. not so much for her, the first officer, Nadia. But um I, I Tony Todd was great.
1: Hmm.
0: Yep. So they 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 got it two thirds right. Yeah. I think <laughs> this is this is not a huge deal. Yeah. For me, but
1: it was just as you were saying that it was just okay. something that I yeah I thought of and I felt like I had to bring it up. You know, since I've just been such a pain for this whole episode already, <laughs> I was like, and another thing.
0: <laughs> well, are you done whinging, Ryan? We'll see. We'll see. Yeah, we're not to the last part yet. Give it time. Give it some time. Let you build up again. All right. Well, I tell you what, in the meantime... Yeah. I think we had a quote for this one, didn't we?
1: It... I think we did.
0: All right. Yeah. You got that there?
1: I sure do. More than a mere ship of exploration, the Belafaron embodied humanity's last great effort to tame the universe through our own will alone. That was a quote by Dr. Paul Mussevni or Musevini, depending on who's talking, father of Drago Museveni from uh, his work, A Farther Shore,
0: Commonwealth Year 8401. Okay, so Father Museveni, mm-hmm. or Museveni, Father Museveni, um, says this about Bellerophon. It's almost like 1,400 years yeah. after its launch. Mm-hmm. It's... That's really interesting that that's, I, I think maybe I'm reading between the lines in, when I see what he said there. um, It was humanity's last great effort to tame the universe through our own will alone. Now, it's interesting because he basically takes humanity and changes it mm-hmm. into something else. Yeah, right. So everything going forward is not humanity's own will alone. He he puts all his eggs in a different basket <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> with a better human being. And what that really brings to my mind is he's saying this 1,300 years after Bellerophon was launched. Does that mean that humanity kind of went stagnant for 1,300, year,
1: 1,400 years? Yeah. I, mm, no. Because, I mean... Well, he
0: just... He said it's their... It's humanity's last great effort to tame the universe through. Or is he just talking about this happened before uh, ve- uh, veterans showed up? Is that what he's talking about?
1: Hmm. You know what? I think he just hit on something. Okay. Because on their own, the humans, all they were able to do was just send out ships like Bellerophon, and they were never heard of, heard from again. Right. Um... But yeah, now that the veterans are here, we've got Slipstream, because they showed us how to use it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess the Bellerophon was, that was our last try. That, that was, was on our own. Yeah. That was our last. That was our big swing and miss. <laughs> Except it wasn't. No, but. We just don't know it yet. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but this is, you know, the father of the Nietzscheans. Right, right. You know, so he's got his his own ideals. Yeah. Yeah, but, but I'm still not sure exactly how long it took after that for the veterans to find the humans. And I would hate to think that they launched the Bellerophon and then, what, they didn't try anymore? Or do they just wait back and,
0: or do they just sit back and wait for V'ger to come back? <laughs> nice reference there. <laughs> um, you know, I, I imagine it was probably, well, I don't know, maybe maybe you're onto something. They, they kept sending these ships out, maybe. Or was Bellerophon literally the last ship that was sent out?: I don't know. The last great effort, he says. That, maybe, maybe that's it. And maybe it was maybe it was shortly after Bellerophon's launch that the veterans did show up that humanity started taking those steps into slipstream mm-hmm. and becoming part of the greater civilization. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's all that that's in reference to. OK.
1: So then I guess what we're trying, what I'm wondering now is, is this a dig at humanity?
0: Or is it celebrating what they did? Humanity's ingenuity. Mm-hmm. Well, we don't know Father Museveni mm-hmm. and what his personality was like. We have hints of it in his progeny. Right. And maybe he wasn't, eh, not such a nice guy, <laughs> to coin, to take your phrase from earlier. Okay. Um, if that's the case, then you would almost have to look at it as a dig, maybe.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, he ain't... Yeah, this is the thing. We don't know anything about this guy. We really don't even know anything about Drago. Yeah, that's true. All we know is what the Nietzscheans are now. Right, and that's 3,000 years of lore.
0: Right. And legends. So
1: could it have been that Dr. Paul Museveni was just trying to, he loved humanity so much and he wanted to make it better.
0: Mm. That's, you know? That's an interesting way of turning that. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it could, maybe. It really maybe, could go maybe. either way. I don't
1: know. Could have been, and and then you know who knows. Then it was Drago that said, "Yep, we're better." Yeah, and now we don't need him because mm-hmm. we're better. Mm-hmm. I don't know, or maybe it came further on down the line. We we don't know. Yeah,
0: that's true. But it's interesting to think about it, because it really could. It could go either way, mm-hmm. you, de- depending on that person's personality. Mm-hmm. But we just we just can't tell from the uh, context of the quote here. But an interesting quote, nonetheless. Mm-hmm. Well, Ryan, uh, we've come down to it. We've uh, exhausted the, the talking points mm-hmm. of the episode, The Lone and Level Sands. It's now time to really examine our thoughts on the show itself. What do you think about The Lone and Level Sands?
1: Well, man, there were problems. There were holes. Big, big holes. Um, as far as... uh. Carrying on the arc of the storyline, there really wasn't anything other than just reminding us that the Commonwealth is bad. Um, so so there's none of that. Um, I felt that some of the explanation was lacking. I'm not sure exactly what Becca and Trance were doing other than just, hey, we need something for them to do. Maybe they could have had a different kind of B-plot that didn't have anything to do with what Dylan was doing, because I think they probably could have got out by themselves. They didn't need the Andromeda. And if they did need the Andromeda, then that opens up the whole other big discussion. Why did they need him? Did they not know that they couldn't get out? Yeah, I don't know. Um, So, you know, these are all big sticking points for me, and they're all things that you know what I look for in a good episode. The... The continuity has got to be good the, the explanations for the science Has to be good um, I love it when it has Something big to do with the story Of the arc And and you know where I always stand when When those things fail I have a hard time Enjoying an episode And I mean All three of those things right there Fail, fail, fail I loved this episode
0: I was waiting for it.
1: <laughs> I can see the glint in your eye. It, it was just fun. Yeah. And there's all these problems, and I don't care. Yeah. Obviously, I do care because I talked about them for a long time. But you know what? I had fun talking about them. Yeah. And and maybe I shouldn't have. Maybe <laughs> I'm giving this episode way too much credit because these holes were bad. They were glaring, yeah. Yeah. Okay, but I still I had fun talking about them. Yeah, Um, I love the idea of these, uh, not generation ships because it's really not. But but you know just this this sort of um, near light speed travel,
0: long travel exploration vessel, and just
1: you're getting their perspective on the universe Mm -hmm. and how it's changed over three thousand years in what's been only. About 20 years for them, even though they haven't aged a day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's been 20 years, but they haven't aged 20 years. Right. I don't know. I don't get it. N- another hole, another problem. But I don't care. Um, Some some weird stuff with Rami that we got to talk about. Yeah. And, and not weird in a bad way, but just weird as in they gave us some more stuff to talk about. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's really going on with her. So, yep, there's my answer. Okay. Yep. Um, It had everything in it to make me hate it. All the bad stuff was there. But you just couldn't get there. No, no, sorry. I just sat back and had fun with it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and I think that's you hit on it right there. That's the key. Uh, Sit back and just enjoy this episode for what it is. I feel like this episode is a huge homage to Star Trek. And we really didn't go into... Did they do it on purpose? They did it on purpose. Come okay. on, all right, come on. This is a total, this is a total tip of the hat, or a total rip off of Star Trek. Either way you want to look at it, I liked it. Yeah, and we didn't even mention Harper's
1: quote. Uh, he says when he's talking about the Bellerophon, he yeah. says, "Oh, the Bellerophon, huh? Very nice. Her mission was to gather knowledge of life and civilization, and to go farther and deeper into space than anyone had ever gone before, and bring that cargo back home to Earth, baby." Yeah. So totally is space. It's final frontier. Total, right? Totally. Uh, the introduction a to Harperized Harperized yes, version
0: of TOS's yeah. mission statement. Right. Uh, and, and, yeah. And I love it for that. Whether, whether you want to come down to the side of ripoff or homage or tip of the hat, either way, I enjoyed the episode because mm. I loves me some Star Trek and, you know, it brings up something else in, in mind. We haven't really had this discussion, but I, I think here is a good time to do it because you and I listen to other Star Trek podcasts. What and and what we hear, as we kind of alluded to <laughs> at the beginning of this show, one of the thing that we hear that one of the things that we hear discussed on other uh, Star Trek podcasts that I've listened to is if you were going to introduce a friend to Star Trek that's never watched Star Trek before, what episodes do you have them watch? Okay. I think this is an episode of Andromeda that if you sit down with a person and say, have you watched Star Trek? Mm-hmm. Hey, have you heard about Andromeda? This is probably one of those episodes that I would say, The Lone and Level Sands, season mm-hmm. three. You might try watching it and see if you could get into it or not.
1: Yeah. Um, I was actually thinking the exact same thing. I was thinking that this is a standalone episode. You don't really have to know anything else. Yeah. There's not a lot of character heavy stuff as far as you know what you need to know about the characters to it, I think most of it you can kind of figure out Tier, he's the big tough guy. You know, Dylan's the brave captain and leader. Uh Harper's the the genius mechanic. There, there's not a lot to figure out right. in this episode. Right. Right. Um, Even with with trance on the, I don't know if I want to call it the B plot because it really wasn't. <laughs> there was but, no B plot. <laughs> well, no, it wasn't. But I mean, even with trance, you don't need to know anything about her background or anything like that. She's just a person working on this starship, trying right. to figure out how to solve the problem. Yeah, and then it tells a good story. There's a moral at the end, really, and and and, and they all win. Yeah. Everybody lives. That's good. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Just like Star Trek. Everyone lives. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, yeah. Standalone episode. You could introduce a person to Andromeda
0: with this episode. Yeah. In fact, I view this episode. This is of all of the episodes of season three that I've watched. And I'm, I've actually watched ahead. Um, spoiler alert. Um... I, I know. I broke my rule. But I have been watching ahead a few episodes. This is the most enjoyable season three episode I've seen so far. And Mm -hmm. you're right. It has nothing to do with the greater plot other than the Commonwealth is still trying to have Dylan killed or offed or or captured, whatever. We don't even know what the Ogami were doing, just attacking.
1: See, that might be the only thing that a person that doesn't watch Andromeda wouldn't understand. Yeah. What are these... uh, shoulder-padded football players. Yeah, to but see, even with the... Oh, I'm talking about the Commonwealth. Oh, I the see. The Commonwealth sending these right. guys after, and why, why, why? Right, right, right. Well, which really doesn't matter because we don't know either. Yeah. Um, With <laughs> the Ogami, there's even exposition as to them. That's even true. Even though we have seen the Ogami before, Dylan still has to explain to the crew of the Bell of the... Bellerophon, b- yeah. To the crew of the Bellerophon who these
0: people are right. and how you deal with them. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's fantastic. And Tony Todd, I, I, when he first steps onto the screen, on the screen, I've always enjoyed his character as Kern, Worf's brother mm-hmm. in deep space nine and in next generation. And we got several episodes with him in there. And so I thought it was great to see a star Trek actor mm-hmm. in a very star Trek situation. Mm-hmm. Although, he's not a Star Trek captain by any means. No. 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 Which I thought gave you just that little twist of being different. That really made, really, this whole episode, and that's all it is, is just an episode, Mm -hmm. made it extremely interesting. Plus, with the the time dilation and, as I mentioned before, all those mind-bending ideas that that brought to the fore, it's just a really solid episode of science fiction. hmm I I really enjoy it on that merit. Right. Yeah. Except a lot of the science didn't make sense. Just you you're still you still no, just no, digging up. No, on it's it. okay. I just yeah. Do you need do you need another five it's, minutes? No, on that. I don't. I okay. don't. That's
1: <laughs> fine. It's it's why it's called science fiction. <laughs> exactly. I just like a little more science in my fiction. Right. That's all. Right. Okay, well, that will do it. That is it for The Lone and the Level Sands. Um, we'd love to hear from you guys, the listeners out there, see what you think of this episode or uh, any episode that we have done in the past. Actually,
0: or... yeah, we would like to hear, I would like to hear from other uh, listeners out there how they felt about this particular episode. Yeah. Yeah, right.
1: But we're not going to limit it to just to this episode.
0: No, not just. Yeah. I'm just saying I, I would really like, like to hear. We would especially
1: like to hear about this episode, but really any episode. Yes. Just let us know what you think of uh, uh, any of the discussions that we have had or for upcoming episodes. Uh, let us know what you think about us personally. Um, du- you could direct those whoa, emails. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What?
0: That's dangerous. Okay. <laughs> All right. But moving on.
1: Yeah. Uh, Ethan, why don't you let
0: them know how they can get a hold of us? Okay. You can send us an email to Podcast at gmail.com.
1: We're also on social media, Facebook, and Twitter using the handle at AndromedaPod. We are on Podbean, www.podbean.andromedaseries.com.
0: If you listen to us on iTunes, please subscribe to our show, and if you have a moment, leave a review—maybe some stars—we'd certainly appreciate that. And not that we're
1: beggars, but you could also leave us a tip in our tip jar—that's linked to our PayPal account—to help us keep this near light-speed podcast afloat. Uh, good thanks to our big friend Doug Anderson for once again lending us his voice for the opening quote to this episode. We are an Age of Geek production and we invite you to join us back here again next time when we discuss the episode Slipfighter the Dogs of War However, however,
0: however. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <Save everyone. laughs> oh, the humanity. <laughs>